Hey everybody, this is Jazz's editor Brian Zimmerman here to introduce another episode of Jazz is Not What You Think. This week, Jazz's publisher Michael Fagan sits down with vocalist India Ari to discuss her new album, Worthy, which was released in February. India Ari was one of the most prominent voices in the neo-soul movement of the 1990s and early 2000s, and she continues to make incredible music at the intersection of jazz, R&B, soul, gospel, and a whole lot more. Before we get into that, though, I'd like to quickly thank one of this episode's sponsors. It's the DC Jazz Festival taking place in Washington, D.C., June 7th through 16th. That's right around the corner, and it features headliners like Stefan Harris, Snarky Puppy, John Batiste, and many more. For more info, visit dcjazzfest.org. All right, that's enough from me. We hope you enjoy this interview with India Ari. This is India Ari, and you're listening to Jazz Is Not What You Think. Songwriter extraordinaire and, and a very spiritual humanitarian, India Ari, who just released her seventh album uh, titled Worthy. But before we get into India Ari's project, you know, and, and her success, she sold over 10 million albums worldwide. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about your maybe the earliest beginnings. I know you were born in, in Denver and you moved to Atlanta. Um, I kind of had a, a an, sort of a move and an upheaval at the same age. I was 13 years old when I moved from Florida to, uh, from New Jersey to Florida. And mm. it was life-changing for me. Was it life-changing for you and did it set you on the path that brought you where you are now? Um, let me get my bearings because I didn't expect you to ask me that. <laughs> um, it was life-changing. I think my mother would say that it set me on the path I am now more than I would. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I say that because, you know, Atlanta in the 90s ended up being like an epicenter for what at that time was an alternative sound and approach to R&B music. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't a part of that scene at all. In fact, I, I created a world. We, I had a group of friends. We had an artist collective called Earthseed and Groovement, and we created a world that was the exact polar opposite of what was happening in Atlanta at the time because we just didn't like the idea of the business. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Atlanta turning into what it was for music, I guess people who believe there are no coincidences would say I kind of had to be there and I thrived in that way for that reason. But also just other stuff, just as a kid, cultures were completely different. And so I dealt with a lot of um, painful things in my teenage years. Like like we all do, teenagehood is not cool <laughs> for most of us. Yeah. So, you know, like a lot, just different culture, completely different. And I, my mother didn't understand that. So I was navigating this whole new world by myself at 12 and 13. But coming into my 20s, when music became my main focus in life, it was always my main focus in life, really. But when it became a focal point of a job, uh, for lack of better words, because my mother told me, if you start making your own money, I'll get you a car. <laughs> and you don't have to have this, because I had a job at a candy store. Yeah. And I was making my own money in two months by doing shows. And so when it became a job, not yet a career, but it was just a job for me, um, it, it 
made sense that I would, that God would align me to be in Atlanta. My brother thrived in different ways in Atlanta and my mother did too. So it was a big shift and it also was a big blessing. And then I ended up going to Savannah College of Art and Design, which I don't know that I would have ever gone there if I didn't live, actually went there from, I graduated from high school in Denver. Because wow. I just would go back and forth. But um, I don't know if I would have ever gone to Savannah without having roots in Georgia. And Savannah is where my musical, um, my personal aesthetic really started to come to life. Wow. Well, so. you know, it's so, so fast forward to 2001. Yeah. <laughs> Your first album, Acoustic Soul. Yeah. At the time... I had no one had ever heard of you. And then all of a sudden, you're, <laughs> in essence, a sensation. You know, I, I, I think the stats are you throw, sold over three, mil, 3 million copies worldwide. And in addition to growing a fan base really early on in, in, with your first record, um, who I also noticed that took notice were other artists. Mm. And what I was always... I always see you collaborate. So it was with John Mellencamp as a rock singer, with Cassandra Wilson as a jazz singer, with Stevie Wonder. It seemed like there was a lot of opportunity for you when people, other artists, other great artists checked you out. I almost felt like there was this thing where, yeah, I have to do something with Indy Ari. She's this really hot, <laughs> new talent. What, was, what did that feel like to arrive on the scene and then wind up doing duets with all these major artists. It really was what I wanted. And now that you're saying that, there's two answers to this. Mm -hmm. That was what I always wanted. I wanted to be able to collaborate with different people because when I came into the industry, they automatically put me in an R&B box because it's just sure. how it works. Um, but going back to my roots in Denver and my roots in the South, I really am a combination of all that. So I really grew up on 70s and 80s pop music. Like really, that was my music in the car, going to school every day. I was, those were my jams. And so um, I, I hoped that I would have a career since I, was, since I realized that I was actually gonna have one. I hoped that I would have a career where I would be able to work inside of different genres. And I knew, I don't know if I knew this, I didn't feel like I wanted to make a Christopher Cross sounding album, but I still wanted to be able to sing with other people and be inside of that music. And so mm -hmm. I also got to work with, as you know, as you said, Herbie and um, Carlos Santana, um, Julia Fordham. Wow. His name is escaping me, Cohen. Leonard? No, oh, I wish. I <laughs> know. Uh, walking Mark? in Memphis. Yes, yes. I was going to say Mark Cohen, but I keep hearing this other Cohen guy on the news, and I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Mark yeah. Cohen. I <laughs> did his 1970 yeah. album. Yeah. Um, Smokey Robinson. I, I know. It, 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 it used to, in fact, I used to chuckle. I would see, well, here's Indy Ari doing another uh, duet or a uh, collaboration. <laughs> and it sort of became your thing. I mean, it was Adele and it, with the, the that video you guys did back, I don't know, 10 years ago. Yeah, um, that's right. And, and so so it, what I also found fascinating, and, and if, if you don't mind talking about, is that you're not a jazz singer and you are a jazz singer. Oh, am I? <laughs> and, and in fact, 
you know, the obviously this podcast uh, it goes by a funny name called Jazz Is Not What You Think, and you know, I, I talk to everyone from Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull to Mickey Hart from The Grateful Dead to Neil Schoen from Journey, um, <laughs> you know, and and it's all about what is that connection because you seem to have that connection with jazz, even though I think the critics would say you're not a jazz singer. It doesn't really matter what critics say, but um, <laughs> but but you have that thing that if you're put into the right environment to sing jazz, you can do it. <laughs> um, I hope I don't say anything that jazz heads think is ridiculous right now. Oh, I, I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think I have the right to speak as a professional vocalist Absolutely. In, in that case. For me, when I think of jazz vocals, I think a lot of it has to do with um, being able to sing without thinking, uh, I guess improv. Mm -hmm. And to me, improv doesn't have to be wildly dynamic either. It can be the smallest little things that is it, improvisation. Miles. And right, the smallest, right, that's right. The smallest little things, the subtle things are really what make your heart, what make my heart jump. Those little things, I'm like, oh, she just went, uh, I just love stuff like that. <laughs> that's why Layla Hathaway is one of my favorite vocalists. Oh, yeah. She's just great. The subtle things that she does. She, does, she doesn't even sing loud, ever. <laughs> and so I think that, um, I think I naturally have that and was just born with it because of the lineage I come from, All a lot of the people in my family saying, and I think before you label things, they just are what they are. And, you know, people who make music because it's in their gut, always improv is what we do. It's, we're always improving. And so I think there's that part of me, but also in speaking in, I think more technical jazz terms, I think like the, what often is the delicate nature of jazz vocals is my nature. I don't like to sing loud or hard and inside of an R&B or popular music context, I'm always telling people, okay, listen, like if it's not my band, okay, listen guys, I sing very quiet. So I want you to play with dynamics, but start at minus two. <laughs> and then we're gonna go up to two. And um, I think that is a part of me, but also, you know, one of the things I dislike about the music industry the most are the labels. I mean, I guess we all say that. Sure. But it, once somebody puts you in a box and the world can't hear you any other way. But I did um, my Christmas album with Joe Sample, who was always uh, one of my heroes. I love the way he chords, yes. And when he agreed to do work with me, we were trying to write original music, which, you know, takes longer. And then I called him and I said, what if we just did a Christmas album? <laughs> and he said, my family's been wanting me to do that since the 90s. And we did it. And singing with him gave me permission to sing nuanced and delicate and quiet just the way that I like. And for me, that was the best singing I have yet to do. I love what I did on my new project as well. But doing that Christmas album uh, gave me permission to open up to that part of myself fully and on record, and I have been with people who were like, hearing, like we did, I Got My Love to Keep Me Warm, and Dave Cos guested on, on saxophone mm -hmm. on there, who's my friend. Mm -hmm. And I was with some people who are in the music industry. We were at backstage with Stevie Wonder on his tour, and they were like, yeah, you've never done that. And I said, I, you never heard me do that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have done it. And so like, because I said the creator has a master plan. I've been singing it in my shows from the beginning of my career. And so, yeah, 
people yeah. call me R&B, and, like, when I meet people, like, on an airplane, they go, well, because, you know, say we're on an airplane and people keep walking by talking to me, they go, well, what do you do? Well, what's your music like? And I never can really explain it because I'm not what they call me. It's yeah. just what they call me. So I don't know if I would even call myself a, a jazz vocalist either, but I have a lot of stuff inside of me, and I... I feel like people give you this answer all the time. I have a lot of stuff inside of me and I do it all when I can. <laughs> no, well, it, it, look, I, I get it. And, uh, and uh, Joe was, was a wonderful, I, I'm so, I, I love that record. And uh, thank you. And, and what most people don't know is that was one of Joe's last records. Yeah. Uh, as far as I know, it was the last. Yeah. And, uh, and we miss him terribly. So, oh man, uh, yeah, I, I I got to know Joe over the years, and we had some fun times together. And he was, he was so fun and funny. He was body such a and, funny, fun guy. You know, I can tell we you stories, but <laughs> they're 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 not for prime time. <laughs> yeah, I believe you. I want to tell you one. Okay, I love it. We were in the studio in Texas when I went down there to work with him, and I literally sang because I was nervous, like about to sing in front of him. I usually do vocals alone. I put a studio in my house many years ago at my mother's behest, and I just, I, re I record and engineer my own vocals. Mm -hmm. And so um, we were in the studio together, like doing it live together. <laughs> and I literally sang the first note, <laughs> and Joe said, sing India shit. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh, I freaked out. All right, so I'll tell you. I'll tell you one. Um, I'll try to keep it clean too. Uh, he's touring. It, it was a Joe Sample. It wasn't Crusaders. It was a Joe Sample tour. Yeah. And uh, the the incredible Sonny Emery was playing drums. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Sonny was kind of checking out the ladies in the audience. <laughs> and and Joe stopped in the middle of a song, <laughs> turned to Sonny and said, "Sonny." Nobody cares how big your uh, is. Play the drums. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like him. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Right in the show. Absolutely. Hey everyone, it's Brian again. Just wanted to jump in here real quick and thank a few more sponsors. They include the 2019 Norfolk Waterfront Jazz Festival in downtown Norfolk Waterfront, Virginia, celebrating its 37th year. The fest is set for August 23rd and 24th. That's the perfect time to chill to the legendary sounds of today's top national smooth jazz and R&B artists. To check out the artist lineup, head on over to our website and click that Norfolk Waterfront Jazz Fest banner. We'd also like to thank Chesky Records, the premier audiophile record label, whose goal is to create the illusion of live musicians in a real three-dimensional space. They've got a new release out by bassist and vocalist Casey Abrams. A few of you might remember him from his American Idol days. High-res audio for that album is available on HD Tracks, and you can also pick it up on Amazon or iTunes. Another big thanks to Blue Note Records. They've got a new album by Nora Jones out right now called Begin Again. And in June, they'll be releasing a new album by Jamie Cullum called Taller. Check them out at bluenote.com. And thank you to Smoke Sessions Records, who on June 28th will be releasing a new album by drum legend Al Foster. It's called Inspirations and Dedications. Go to smokesessionsrecords.com to browse all of their recent releases. 
Thanks also to Deezer, an online streaming service that offers more than 53 million tracks and over 100 million playlists. To check out the playlist that we curate on Deezer, head on over to Deezer.com and search for Jazz Is. Thanks also to the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark on August 9th is a performance by R&B stalwarts Anthony Hamilton and Jasmine Sullivan. For tickets and more info, visit NJPAC, that's N-J-P-A-C, dot org. And another thanks to the Adrian Arch Center for the Performing Arts here in Miami. On June 15th, they'll be hosting the Beach Tone Jazz Festival featuring Grammy Award winning Bossa Nova star Elian Elias, guitar legend Yamandu Costa, and legendary percussionist Sammy Figueroa. For more info, visit archcenter.org. We'd also like to shout out the Navy Band Commodore's 50th anniversary celebration concert, taking place September 22nd at 3 p.m. at the Rachel M. Schlesinger Concert Hall and Arts Center in Alexandria, Virginia. If you're in the area, stop by and check it out. And lastly, we'd like to thank the Clifford Brown Jazz Festival, taking place in Wilmington, Delaware's beautiful downtown Rodney Square, June 19th through 22nd. Headliners include the Brantford Marsalis Quartet, Jameson Ross, Terrence Blanchard, and many more. For more info, visit CliffordBrownJazzFest.org. All right, let's get back into the conversation between jazz's publisher, Michael Fagan, and vocalist, India Ari. Okay, so switching gears to something that's even bigger. You're an incredibly spiritual person. I mentioned that in the very beginning uh, of the show. Um, and that's, that may be the magic that brings it all together for you. And um, it's kind of a two-part question. How did, how did you become the spiritual uh, in DRE? And how did that translate into this wonderful ongoing project you have called Songversation? Ah. Um, when you said that, I kind of thought, am I? Because <laughs> you, we don't. We don't. We can't compare ourselves to other people in their private time because it's their private time. We don't know what people do. Um, what I can say is that, for me, music is a spiritual practice, mm-hmm. and so I literally pray for my songs. I say stuff like, "I don't." I feel like this sounds cheesy to people, but it's it's the core of my life. I say stuff like, okay, God, what do you want your people to hear? Or what do you want to tell me? Because I really, all I ever do with my songwriting is sing about my journey and take whoever wants to go on my journey with me with. And so um, I got to write lyrics to Stevie Wonder's song, A Time to Love. He gave me the topic and let me write all the words. And I said, what does he want to say? All right, God, what does he want to say? And um, I think I'm not sure where it comes from. I think I've just always been like that. My mother said I've always been like that. <laughs> like she mm-hmm. would tell me, I would tell her about my dreams and stuff when I was really little. And I've been, side note, having dreams about Stevie Wonder since I was little. Like he would <laughs> talk to me, he, we'd be in the car and the radio and in my dream, I would go into the radio and I'd be there with him. Like he's just always been like one of my angels. <laughs> and, um, but when it comes down to music, at a certain point, I realized that it was before my first album came out, and, but I was still getting, like, um, I had fans in Atlanta, <laughs> and, like, people would sing the words to my songs and scream out requests, like, I had fans in Atlanta. Yeah. And uh, I was probably 21, 
And I just remember, if I'm going to be, I remember realizing one day, if I'm going to be singing these songs, I want them to be affirmative and have words that make me feel um, uplifted or, or at least that feel honest to me. Because mm -hmm. I, I was dating some little guy, whoever he was at the time. And I remember singing a song about him and I sang it and the audience was like, woo, woo, whatever. But I remember thinking, why would I waste my time on him and on that? <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And so I would just, I, at some point I blended my natural connection to spirit and my music. I guess I found my sweet spot and stayed there. Yeah. And also mm -hmm. as I mature, I get less, like to answer your question about the songversation practice, as I mature, I get less, um, I give less of a fuck, <laughs> excuse my language. Yeah. I give less of a fuck about yeah, what anybody thinks about me yeah. and how I express myself. And so I created Songversation because at, in 2009, I thought I was going to just quit because I was tired of everything. I was tired of people. I was tired of how people acted. I was tired of people lying and faking and the music industry not even being about the music. I was just tired. And so I took like six months or seven months. And then I realized that what I really wanted to do was be more me. And so mm -hmm. I spent a long time just with this thought in the back of my mind. Well, what is it? What is more me? What is more me? And this, the word conversation came up for me and I started building out what that meant. And so that's what I do when I get on stage now. And conversation creates a space where I can be who I am in that moment. And I think audiences like it because I always get a standing ovation, always. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like they're standing for me. I feel like they're standing for the experience. They, they feel something. Because I'm not just there to sing their favorite songs. I'm there to create an experience with us all. And people always feel it. So and, I, look and, I love it. And, and there's an there's a obvious transparency mm -hmm. to you as a person that you give a lot of you. Mm -hmm. um, you open up, like, unlike many artists, you, you open up and they get right. to know you you know the and and it, it and that sort of spiritual thing that i was talking about that i always found interesting in, in your work yes. is that there's something it's bigger than the music in fact i had this conversation with uh with kirk Wellen, who i know you know mm, and, yeah and and kirk kirk was thinking about opening a jazz club <laughs> and i i had opened a couple of them and i talked him out of it but when, when, <laughs> when we were trying to come up with a name for it um i said you know kirk you're you're such a spiritual guy why don't you call it Kirk Wellams Bigger Than Jazz Club? Mm. <laughs> because it, it, it's sort of like songversation is bigger than the music. Yeah. Uh, the music is certainly part of it. You know, you right. have a conversation, a song, interaction with your fans. Right. But it gives, it, it gives the fans something more. And I think in this day and age, I think people want that. They want that connection. They want that relationship. And you do that so well. Thank you. I think that is true. And I think actually, since Trump has been mm -hmm. elected, mm -hmm. people even want even more. Because yeah. they're like, well, what is life about then? Why, what are we going to do? What's really meaningful? How are we going to save this world? And people who always thought that was corny are now saying those things. And so Absolutely. I feel interesting about the release of this new album, Worthy, because I feel like I now have a supply for more of a demand, which is interesting. Yeah. I, I feel the difference. But like you said, well, so it's what I've been doing and what I'd love to do. So I'm happy to be 
happy that I never changed and that I can still be here for people. Yeah. Well, so so I, I, what I want uh, listeners to check out is your song "What If," mm. and the video to that. It's it's moving. Thank you. And, and you take these, just the most you know, the world's most amazing people, and how symbolically they and 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 instrumentally change the world. Right. And that message comes true pretty clear, but it also comes true that not only did they change the world, but you want to be part of that too. That's right. I think with that song, it's funny. Uh, so I wanted to say two things. It's funny because in 2017, I got nominated for, for the Grammy for Best New Age Album, <laughs> which was not my goal, but I wanted to make a project that just um, was something meant to really help calm the nervous system in the mind and the heart of a listener. Like an actual calming of the nervous system in mind and heart. Not that I know how to do that, but my perception of how that's done. And what I've been doing with my conversation audiences, I wanted to put it on a record and end up being in this new age category, which I loved. Mm -hmm. And um, with the song, What If, I wanted to find a way to bring a really high spiritual message, but make it jam at the same time, because I'm good at making them soft. I can make chants and all that stuff, really soft music. I'm, I can do it. I can write one of those a day, for real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But making a song that's structured and that like has a, a, a jamming beat on the bottom and bass, and it took me like a month, for real, of focusing on one thing to make something simple enough that I thought would work because I didn't want to make it complex because then people tune out. Right, She's like right. saying, you can change the world. And they like, yeah, okay, whatever. And they tune out, I think. Sure. And so with the song, What If, my goal was to remind people of who we are as a collective and also to remind people that you don't have to have Oprah Winfrey power to affect someone in a positive way. I have my favorite music teacher who I still think about to this day, all often. And excuse my phone. No and um, I wanted to, people to be able to absorb it without me saying it directly. <laughs> that yeah. what are we gonna yeah. do if you don't do your part? What are we gonna do? We're not gonna be able to fix what's going on if we don't all do our little part. So yeah, and and one of the things, India, that you, that you do is. Um, there's this concept that I've seen in, in a lot of writing about you that you're you're really passionate about changing really, well, I guess for lack of a better phrase, preconceived notions of things. Mm. Uh, people think something, you know, it's sort of like they complain about things that the way they think they are. <laughs> mm. And that's preconceived notions that is something that seems to be a theme in a lot of your work. Hmm. I have to think about that one. Is that true? Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, I see what you mean. You know, I think preconceived notions is not exactly how I see it. I think mm -hmm. I see it more like taking back taking back our definition of ourselves from someone else, which to me is one of the one one of the perfect definitions of empowerment. Mm -hmm. Not putting your self-definition in someone else's hands. And of course, coming into the music industry at 22 or 23, however young I was, People like to tell you who you are. And I like to 
remind them that I'm who I say I am, not who you say I am. Right. And so I think that continues to be an ongoing theme in my music because it continues to be an ongoing theme in my life. You don't tell me who I am. I hate that. I, I, ooh, you don't even know who you are. You worry about you. Right. That's how I feel sometimes. Like, you, mm-mm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, but what, what, what I was getting at before as well is that um, you let people know who you are mm-hmm. by your actions, by your words, by your, mm-hmm. by your writing, which is the other thing. You seem to like, in, in addition to writing songs, you seem to just like to write. Yeah, <laughs> I just like to write. I always have. When I think, yeah, I just like to write. And I also think my writing was encouraged as much as my music was. Uh-huh. And so my mother, at a certain point, my mother said, I feel like you're taking that for granted. Like you're focused so much in your songwriting that you're not taking your writing as seriously. And so, yeah, uh, you know, now then with social media, because there's always a way to tell people what you think, I have occasions where I just go off and go, I'm going to leave this right here and get on with my life. But yeah, I love to write too. Yeah, I always and, and have a lot on my mind and on my heart too. And I feel like as a public person, there are certain things I want people to hear me say and certain things that are just for me. But when there's something I really feel like I need to say, like about the Nina Simone movie, for example. Oh yeah, I, I remember that. say it. Yeah, I just had to. Yeah. So I just do. You speak your mind. Yeah, I do. And that part of me was trying to be extinguished, which is one of the other reasons I wanted to quit in 2009. Because I just was like, this is not me. I'm not a pushover. I'm not a person who holds things in. I'm not any of that. But that's what I was being because I was coerced into it, basically. And so coming back after 2009, I just promised to be me. So I do wow. speak my mind in my personal life as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, so so 10 years later, 2019, you have your worthy tour. Yeah. And, and Jacksonville isn't that close to me, although I was, I was thinking about heading up there. Uh, it was like a oh. week ago. Uh, but um, but you should check Indie on the 2019 Worthy Tour. I think you have your tour on your website. It is Songbird, Soulbird, S-O-U-L-B-I-R-D dot com. Yeah, Soulbird. They're also on my Instagram page, too. What's that? Uh, India RE. All my social media is India RE. Okay. And, yeah. and are you still using your email address, I am light? Um, yes and no. Somehow okay. I got locked out of it, but I'm actually, I don't It wasn't know. me. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> so I didn't look at it for forever, and then I got all these new devices. Yeah. But I just, we were just talking about my writing. So in 2013, I put out this photograph that people didn't like for reasons I don't even feel like wasting our time on. Okay. But I, in response to that, I wrote this essay that ended up being 270 pages. But I released it in six parts. So every month I would release a part and people subscribed and it went straight to their email. And then I created this I Am Light email for them to talk back with me, which for me is what a conversation is. It's a circular, you know, it's a conversation. Yeah. Um, circular communication. And so I'm getting ready to put the essays back up and the email will be back open. It'll be up in time for a tour. So by April 15th, it'll all be back. Wow. So whoever well, wants to read my rantings <laughs> about things. Yes. Well, Ooh. definitely. So they can check it out on soulbird.com. And... Yep, soulbird.com. And the I Am Light email will be back up April 15th. And I keep saying that because I loved having that email because people sent the most interesting emails. Because you have to be a writer to want to send me an email, basically. 
<laughs> and they sent the most interesting things. So I can't wait to have that back. But yes, soulbird.com and my Instagram. I run my Instagram and I love people's messages. Oh, and I also have a podcast. It's called yep. Conversation the Podcast. There you go. And, <laughs> yeah. and is that on iTunes? Yep, it's on iTunes, Google Play, and um, uh, SoundCloud for Android users. That's great. Because <laughs> they were complaining. Everyone should check it out. And uh, Indy RE, it was absolutely wonderful to speak to you, finally. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, have a great time on your 2019 tour. Everyone should check it out. 